All right, here we go. Another week is coming gone. This is our last show of 2020, the greatest year ever. Not. But obviously, you know, we got to get we got to get some things off our chest on this episode here, on this look back. And like I said, a lot to look over. We have playoffs to to, to, to discuss and obviously the you know, college football playoff at the end of the show, you know, your precious little Notre Dame, will they, can they actually have, do they have actually have a chance against Alabama? And then the other two, another game that one of the teams could be a potential shift, potentially in the wrong direction. So, so obviously, like I said, we all know now it's official now, even though the Eagles have a poor record, it wasn't going to change anything. They are officially eliminated after a tough loss. Like I said, the last thing you need to the last thing you need to to think of about this pathetic season is the Dallas Cowboys eliminated your ass. That's the last thing you would want to think about. But that's exactly what happened. But but the Eagles actually on Sunday night can cost the Cowboys a playoff spot if they lose to Washington. <laughs> uh, what a crazy year this is going to What a crazy year. But like I said, I mean, obviously the Eagles are in a position now where the future is going to be really going to be up in the air this offseason, what they're going to do. Will, will Dougie P be back? Will Howie Roseman be back? Will Jeffrey Lurie grow a set and get rid of them? Or is he just going to keep them around and tell them to change the coaching? Like I said, what, go ahead, go ahead with what you want to talk about with the Eagles here. Well, man, thankfully the season is over. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, I just like everybody else has grown sick of hearing the same nonsense from Peterson week in and week out that we're in the playoff race and, you know, they can still win the division. And it's like, dude, come me a break, man. We're not idiots. You know, even if they win, were to win the division, it's it's an embarrassing. It's the worst division in NFL history. It means nothing. So, um, thankfully, that's over anyway. But I mean, moving on from Peterson and Roseman, right now, if you want to listen to reports, it's not looking too promising, man. I mean, sounds like Roseman's going to be back. Sounds like uh, <laughs> Peterson at least claims that he's comfortable that he's going to be back. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but, I mean, if this team goes into next year with the same group of, of bums, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a joke. And Lurie, you know, he's, he's had some uh, – he's, 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 he's caught a break this year with no fans in the stands. He hasn't been able to – you know, the fans haven't really been able to get on his case in, in the press box. Um so, you know, maybe that's helped him uh, detach from reality a little bit. But the fact of the matter is this team's awful, and it's in horrible shape going forward, and uh, and um, and moves have to be made. And and I'm looking at next week. Okay, we, we just lost to Dallas to lose out to – or to close out to eliminate us from playoff position. Um, I mean, at this point – the only thing that, that really, the, the positive I would say is it, the Eagles just need to get embarrassed, you know? They need to get embarrassed to the point that Burry has to make a move no matter what. And uh, maybe losing to the Redskins with, um, 
you know, let's just say Alex Smith doesn't play and they got whatever that guy's name is, Heineke or Heineken or, you know. Yeah, you got the, you got the name right. And, <laughs> what's that? You got the name right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, maybe losing to this nobody would be embarrassing enough that at least they get rid of one of those two, Peterson or uh, Roseman. But as things are are going right now, I mean, it's not looking too promising, man. It's, it's starting to look like Peterson's going to be back. It's starting to look like Roseman's going to be back. Um, maybe they'll move on from Wentz, but that's not enough, man. It's not enough. You know, Peterson has proved himself to be incompetent. Roseman has proved himself to be horrible at evaluating talent and just putting in there uh, John Dorsey is a uh, Consultant. That's not going to make a. That's not going to make enough waves, man. They, they need to get. They need to make something happen, and maybe Murray just has to be embarrassed to the point that he he's forced to make some make make some moves. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, we're at the point now where we can think about the off season for any team that gets eliminated from playoff contention. Then you really start thinking about next season and beyond. And for the Eagles, I mean, what can you say? I mean, this year has been a disaster. And luckily, because of COVID and the, and the lack of fans being at the games, pretty much they were never at the games. It it could have been wor- it could have been much worse had it was regularly as it is. I mean, not as it is now, but if it was normally, if we were in the normal situation with fans at games and situation, it would be really bad. But it's still bad enough because. This team is still a couple years off of a Super Bowl victory. And, I mean, obviously I did say that one time that, you know, Dougie P can go 0-16 every year after that and forever be remembered. But obviously, unfortunately, we're greedy fans here in Philly. We always think about Dynasty after we win one championship. But we should be just thankful we win a championship. But unfortunately, you know... This is a league where you have what have you done for me lately? It's not what you did three years ago or five years ago. You gotta win. You gotta win, and you gotta win constantly and consistently. And even though the Eagles have made the playoffs the last couple of years after winning after winning Super Bowl Fifty Two, it still hasn't. It didn't produce produce lackluster results. One playoff victory, and then you know they won the division last year, basically with nobody at receiver. And like I said, I mean, this is where I go off on on Jeffrey Lurie because while Jeffrey Lurie does have the power to get rid of these guys, and really they do deserve to be released, especially Howie Roseman for how he's screwed up the draft and and, and constantly and, and and the talent that's out there. Unfortunately, Jeffrey Lurie is a loyalist. He he loves everybody. He just he's a guy. He's not a guy who likes to fire people. He historically doesn't fire people. You know his love for Andy Reid was to a fault for many years. And when he finally got rid of him, he gave him a game ball because he knew that he did a lot for this franchise. He was a consistent winner, and they did a lot of stuff. But obviously here, you know why Dougie P is a is obviously Andy Reid, basically his football son because. He worships the ground Big Red walks on and does everything Big Red does to a degree. Unfortunately, Jeffrey Lurie, he'll go to Jeffrey Lurie after Sunday and plead his case 
to say that, okay, I want a Super Bowl, and Lurie will give him a pass. Now, I don't know if he'll give him the same pass to, to Howie, but obviously in the last couple of weeks, John Dorsey has been working behind the scenes and has been hi- quietly hired to help out Howie and most likely be, you know, that will keep Howie here as well. So unfortunately, you know, the good news is is that, you know, injuries have hurt this team more than anything. But that's also the fault of of the coaching staff because why is this team always hurt every year to the degree where they can't help each other? And that's something that they have to do they have to fix in the offseason. But unfortunately, I hate to tell you this, but I don't think neither of them are going to lose their jobs. Now, as far as Carson Wentz's job, that might be a different story. Because if he's still complaining and bitching about his situation, number one, he cannot be a backup with the money he's being made. That's ridiculous. Over $30 million a year to be to sit, to sit on the bench or hold a clipboard or something? The hell's wrong with this league? To me, he's the sixth highest paid quarterback. He has to start. Now, obviously... Do you take the big cap hit if you trade him? And obviously you're going to have to if it comes to the fact that you're very much on board with with Jalen Hurts. Because I know the Eagles will not draft a quarterback with the fifth or sixth pick. They'll, fi- they'll figure it out and decide to get the best available player. But obviously at this point, you know, Jeffrey Lurie has to stop being too kind to these guys that that, that don't deserve it sometimes. You know, he had this problem with Andy Reid, and he had this problem with, with other guys over the years. But if you're not winning in this league consistently, or if you're having a year like the Eagles had this year, then guess what? Changes have to be made. You know, look at, I'll use a NASCAR term, Kyle Busch. The last, uh, the last four or five years, he's won, he's averaged four or five wins, and he's been the final four for the championship. This past season, he barely got a win, and he was eliminated a few rounds early. Now, that's a normally good season for any other driver, but, you know, the crew chief had to take the fall. He had to lose his job. And even though it wasn't a bad season, it wasn't good enough. So, to me, like I said, like I said, there's more intimi- There's a lot more intimidating owners than Jeffrey Lurie, unfortunately, in this, in this, in this league. But he needs to stop kissing stop kissing their ass because they need to be kissing his to keep their jobs and I'm getting tired of it and I am getting tired of it yeah well um obviously we'll get in the cap in a, in a few minutes um and once will be a part of that but uh yeah I mean it, I mean it, it's embarrassing man like the fact that that these guys might be coming back both Pet Peterson and Roseman with how bad they've been this year in particular. But, I mean, Roseman's been bad pretty much since starting 2017 draft. Um, 2016 draft was actually pretty good, but he's gone downhill ever since. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these, neither of these guys have any – there's no reason either of these guys should be back. So, um so yeah, I mean, they just gotta go. They just gotta go, man. And if the, and if we're gonna be we, either way, if if they, the Eagles decide to keep one, Peterson can't come back. 
you know, we can't have both of those guys back here. Um, Peterson's proven he can't coach once to begin with. Um, and if Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback going forward, I, I got no faith in Peterson to actually develop an offense around him and develop him as a quarterback. I mean, really, who has he really developed as a quarterback? Wentz? Really? I mean, it, was he really the guy that developed him, or was it uh, Frank Reich and uh, DiFilippo? Because obviously, as we everyone has said before, ever since those two left, Wentz has gone downhill. And um, and Peterson, I don't. I mean, I just I see no reason Peterson should be back. I mean, he's a horrible play caller. You know that that needs to be stripped of him, regardless. You know he can't be the he can't be the guy calling plays anymore. He's awful. He has no clue what he's doing. And, uh, and from there, I mean, his fourth down, um, it, 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 the moves he makes going for a fourth down. I mean, just look at last game, fourth and fifteen in field goal range, down thirteen. You can make it a ten point game. You know. I mean, the guy's an idiot. Let's face it, the guy's an idiot. You know, it worked out in 2017, and ever since, he's been living off that. And, um, and um, you know, like I said, I'm just glad the season's over, so I'm, I, I don't have to hear this nonsense that he's been, he's been stealing all year, that we're still in the playoff race, we're still in the division race. You know, that's done. Now, obviously, if you listen to any of his press conferences this, since that last since Sunday, um, he's now spewing the, the, the excuses because, like you said, he's now trying to uh, appease Lurry and keep his job. So now the excuses are coming coming out. Oh, injuries, 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 COVID, as if no other team has had injuries, as if no other team has had, had to deal with COVID this offseason, you know. And it's like, dude, quit giving me the excuses. It's like, you got to go. It, 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 this is it, man. Um, everybody's had the same nonsense, the same stuff to deal with, um, and you know, for some reason, this Eagles team, you can, they can keep they, uh, Peterson can keep, can keep making excuses with injuries, but you know, this is every year now since he's gotten here that we've had an insane number of injuries, and they, they've changed, uh, they've changed medical staff, they, they've changed. Uh, Strength and the strength and conditioning coaches. Um, the only constant here is Peterson, and uh, it's got to be something with him, man. I mean, there's absolutely no reason any team should have the, the number of injuries that we've had every single year for five straight years now. You know, I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, it sounds to me like it's the way this team practices and, and trains for the season. You know, um, but I don't know. Nonetheless, we've changed a point. We've changed everything, and the only thing that hasn't changed is our head coach, who is in charge of all that stuff. So he's got to he's got to bear the brunt of the injuries as well at this point, too. Well, what makes me a little upset, you know, I, I was reading today, is that Barrett Brooks has returned to uh, has returned to uh, he's he's kind of recovered from the Achilles injury he suffered in June. And that's when everything started to fall apart anyway, when he got hurt. Because the O-line was intact in June. By the time we got to now, the O-line's a joke. And this is too many injuries. And like I said, we changed medical staff. It didn't work. 
and, you know, we got all these injuries. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we beat the Saints, and the secondary just got demolished. I see, I'm see. i seeing on Sunday guys named, who the hell is Arnold in number 37? I, I, I see him around the ball like he's Sean Considine in the late 2000s. But he, he, I don't even know what his first name is. And like I said, it's just, it's it's pathetic because, even though the Cowboys, you know, they they have more, they're they're more healthier and all that. They're not no, they're no better than us. And we got off to that fast start, and you know, Deshaun Jackson gave us our his vintage. You know, we were vintage Deshaun and his his farewell, his pretty much his last touchdown and probably last catch as an Eagle, or maybe in his career, who knows? But it's just the team started off hot. And then it fell apart. And I kind of knew it was a false sense of security watching that game. Because I knew Washington was not... I had this feeling Washington wasn't going to win anyway. And they didn't. And obviously they have a mess going on going into this game as well. You know. But, you know, just watching the game, it just got more and more like... You know, this the weakness of this team is going to get exposed. Especially in the secondary. Because if, if Andy Dalton's throwing the ball down the field then you know that you're in trouble. And and somebody told me that he he was like Joe Montana, and that's pretty sad when he's when you're comparing him to Joe Montana in a game. And Andy Dalton has been one of the worst quarterbacks, even worse than Wentz over the last couple of years. Look at, he was benched in Cincinnati last year on a very bad Cincinnati team. And then here he is with the Cowboys coming out here dominating us. But it's just it's just to the point where, you just look at this team and and everything about it. You know, it, it is a you gotta look a close look in the mirror, and that's Jeffrey Lurie. It goes back to him because after Sunday's Sunday night, you know, Dougie P's gonna be gone, call, called into the office, and he's gonna plead for his job. Howie Roseman will be called to the office, and he's gonna plead for his job. And then God knows anything else that could go on, that could go on as well. So, really, at this point. Who the hell knows? Any, I mean, we, you know, we're going to be talking here on on next week, and hopefully something could happen. Probably won't. Nothing probably won't happen next by by our by our look back next Wednesday. But I know that, you know, there will be talks. And Black Monday, obviously, the the one of the more depressing days in the NFL, where head coaches loses their jobs. Unfortunately, we're not going to be happy about that because Dougie P is probably not going to be on that list. So, at the end of the day, it really comes to the point where, I mean, I don't know what's going on. I mean, of course, Urban Meyer's name is once again floating around for a head coaching job, you know, but I know that you're not interested and I'm probably not. But to, to me, it's really to the point. The season's basically, it is what it is. Everything is what it is, and we're just going to have to wait and see come come Monday what the Eagles are going to do. Yeah, I mean, really, I'm looking at this game, man. Like I said, somehow the Eagles need to get embarrassed, but at the same time, we need to see some um, upside out of Jalen Hurts. You know, I, I mean... I'm looking at I, I I look at last week and the the Wentz apologist coming out of the woodwork because Wentz didn't have it had or yeah because Hertz had a bad second half um, and they're they're you trying to use like Hertz's bad second half justify an entirely awful worst quarterback in the league season out of Wentz and I mean it's laughable 
you know. I mean, they're basically holding Wentz to the same standard as a rookie quarterback, second-round quarterback. You know, and you're talking about a five-year veteran that's supposed to be a franchise quarterback getting paid a near-record deal, <laughs> trying to hold him to the same standard as a rookie that that clearly everybody knew came in when he came in the league needed a little bit of time to develop as a passer. <laughs> you know, and the fact of the matter is, even last week, I mean, these Steelers moved the ball. You know, as the game went on, and uh, and Peterson abandoned the run like he always does, and the Eagles fell further and further behind. Yeah, yeah. Hurts turned the ball over. He's trying to make plays, but at that point, the late in, you're getting in the fourth quarter, you're down two, three scores. You know, you got to do something. You got to try to make something happen. You can't just uh, throw the ball out of bounds. You know, you got to try to make something happen. So. Uh, the fact of the matter is, Hertz actually had a really good first half, and then as the game got out of hand, yeah, great, he made a bunch of rookie mistakes. You know, that's excusable for a rookie quarterback. That's not excusable for a five-year supposedly franchise QB. So, um, yeah, no, Hertz didn't play as bad as, every, as some of these people are trying to make him out to play. He didn't play great. The second half, he was really bad. He'll learn from it. Um, he seems like a guy that actually actually learns from his mistakes and makes adjustments, and he'll, he'll be better for it. But the fact of the matter is, you look at the the, um, the way the Eagles have moved the ball since uh, Hertz came in to, into the starting lineup compared to the way the Eagles moved the ball with Wentz or with Wentz at quarterback, and it's night and day, man. At yeah, it is. It's a night and day difference. Play. You know. What's that? It's a night and day difference. Yeah, exactly. It's not even close. So, I mean, I'm hoping to see a good game out of Hurts this Sunday, but I still need the Eagles to lose, and I need them to somehow get embarrassed with when, with Hurts playing well. Um, I don't know how that happens. Maybe the defense just completely gets destroyed, and uh, just like sort of the Cardinals game where um, – um, you know, Hurts has a big game passing the ball, but the the other team just puts up a lot of points. You know, something like that. But all I care about this coming Sunday is I just want to see Hurts look good, and I want to have uh, something to look forward to for next year. Well, the problem with with this Sunday's game is why the Eagles they should lose a game, and they, and I'm sure something tells me they'll try to find a way to to do what you just told me. The problem with Washington. They're they're not very good offense, and like I said, and moving on and moving on here, Washington obviously has had a has not had easy week with 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 Dwayne Haskins. Obviously, he's made made him mistakes, and and even though he's young and he's and and Washington didn't really want him originally when they were a different name and a different and a different you know or in a different running front office. Things are much different now. And like I said, he he got released on Monday, and his and his NFL career now looks like it's I don't say it's in doubt, but it's you know he's gonna have he's gonna have his hand full to see if he's gonna have much of a career after after his embarrassing way way out of Washington. But to me, like I said, Washington has to come out with a great game plan. But I know the defense will be tough. You know, Chase Young is having a has having a solid rookie year. I mean, he could win Rookie of the Year defensively, but I I think Patrick Queen 
has done a little more, so I don't know about that, but he's had solid. Well, that my boy Jeremy Chin, who's right, right in that conversation as yeah. well. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, could they, could they, could the Washington win on Sunday night? Sure, and I'm sure the Eagles will do what they have may have to do, but but it's all a pride thing for them now because they they want to you know everybody's trying to save their jobs. And if it if it has to be a job saver that they have to win this game tomorrow on Sunday night, then that's what's going to have to happen. But like I said, you know, at this point we'll see what happens. But like I said, the Dwayne Haskins situation is pretty sad. And do you think he has a future in this league, or did he just screw himself? Nah, man, he's done. He's done. He's 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 done nothing when he's played the. Um, Sure that he can play in the NFL, and you know he's, he's immature. His off his off field problems. Um, I mean, maybe somebody will bring him in on like a veteran minimum deal to camp and give him a shot. But other than that, he's now in Josh Rosen territory, man. Well, Josh Rosen, it wasn't his fault. It was the situation, and the environment he was in. It's not his. Yeah, fault. well, he went to two different environments and failed in both. So. You know, he is another guy that had talent, but he was immature and, you know, came, he just was horrible when he got on the field, so. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll see, we'll see what happens there and obviously with Washington and all that. But obviously we have reached week 17 and the playoff picture as it stands and we'll, and I will give it to you really quickly here. We'll start off obviously in the NFC here because it's a little more, it's a, a, a lot clearer picture. Right now, the home field advantage is still up for grabs. Green Bay wins on Sunday against the Bears in Chicago, then they will, the road to the Super Bowl in the NFC goes through them. The Saints are currently number two. They swept that in, in a historic performance by Alvin Kamara, six touchdown rushing on Christmas. Seattle is number three is is in the third spot. They won the NFC West, so they're guaranteed to be no less than no less than the number three seed. And then obviously scenarios for the wild card. Tampa Bay clinched the wild card, and if they beat the Falcons, then the NFC East winner will host the Buccaneers no matter what. But then that's that's where it, it gets then things get interesting. The six and the seven seed can change dramatically here. Unfortunately, the 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 L.A. Rams and Josh and and uh, Jared Goff's perform and Jared Goff's performance has absolutely declined in the last couple of weeks, and it's gotten to the point now where they could be on the outside looking in. Shockingly, if they lose to Arizona and Chicago beats Green Bay, Chicago is in the last spot, so. You know they could actually, they could actually lose to Green Bay and still make the playoffs if Arizona loses to to the Rams. So in this in this scenario, who do you think is in big? Who's in the biggest trouble of missing the playoffs? Well, if I'm looking at it, man, I mean the Bucks are in, obviously. So um, I'm looking at you're looking at like you said the Rams, Cardinals, and Bears fighting for those last three spots. The Rams and Cardinals play each other. The Bears play the Packers. Um, I think the Packers are going to beat the Bears, but um, just looking at it, man, 
I think the Cardinals are in the most trouble because I think they're going to lose to the Rams. And like you said, if they lose to the Rams, the Bears are the Bears got the tiebreaker. So um, basically, they're done. So I think they got the. I think they're in the most trouble right now is the Cardinals. Um, and we'll see how that turns out. But the team that obviously started off hot and they've they've fallen off. So. Cliff Kingsbury goes 0 for 2 in terms of making the playoffs so far in the NFL. Well, looking at the last at, at, at this at these three teams, the Rams are, should be ashamed of themselves that they're actually in this position where they could actually be on the outside looking in, because obviously for most of the year their defense has been one of the best defenses in the league. But Jared Goff, but Jared Goff's play has cost them again, just like last year. You know, he did not play well enough, and the team missed the postseason too. So, if the, it, to me, and the problem is he suffered a thumb injury also on Sunday, which means that he is not going to be even playing. They're not. One thing you need to know is that he is not. He's not going to be available on Sunday to play in this game. It's going to be somebody else who hasn't. I don't. I forgot the name, and he's and he has no has no snaps in the NFL in his career. So. The problem is, and also, Kyler Murray suffered a knee injury, late a leg injury late in the game against the 49ers. So, even though, yes, Sean McVay has had the Cardinals number his entire coaching career, this is a game where, like I said, Chicago could afford to lose to Green Bay because they have the tiebreaker over both of those teams, especially Arizona. So, like I said, to me, I think the Rams are in the, in the most difficult situation because of... If they lose to Arizona, and obviously all of a sudden they can't win at home all of a sudden, and if they lose to Arizona, and then somehow the you know all the Bears do what they have to do, then they're the team on the outside looking in. I, I think the Rams are in, are in bigger trouble than anybody else. Because Chicago, even though they aren't flashy or great, they have obviously turned things around offensively over the last couple of over the last month. They're scoring 30 points a game now, 34 points per game. And, you know, you wouldn't think that middle of the season with Nick Foles and when they were struggling losing six straight. But you got to give a, a lot of call to Mac Nagy. He did something Dougie P couldn't do. He took, he got rid of his, he was the play caller and he gave it to his offensive coordinator and that's helped Mitchell Trubisky so much to the point where they have become one of the best offenses in the league this in the last several weeks. And I think that's going to be a good one with Green Bay. But Green Bay knows they need that game for home field advantage because if they lose compared to the situations going on, they could miss out on home field advantage. So that's a critical game in the late afternoon. You know, I'm sure Buck and Aitman will be at that game most likely. And then obviously if that's the case, you know, the Rams could be in trouble. So big, big situation there with them. Now, going to the AFC side, this is where things get real interesting. Now, we all know the Chiefs will have clinched everything. They're going to be the team that, once again, you got to deal with come, come you know, this, this coming month. Obviously, Buffalo is going to be this two-seed most likely. Pittsburgh is not playing Big Ben, so that, that gives the Browns a little bit of, a, of an easy cushion. Baltimore current is going to uh, Cincinnati. Tennessee will be playing at Houston. 
Indianapolis will host the Jaguars, and then the most intriguing game of 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 the of, the, of all these contenders is Miami going to Buffalo playing the Bills. So, like I said, let's give you the this, this scenario. Right now, Tennessee's four. They're leading the AFC South. Miami's number f- five seed. Baltimore's number six seed. Cleveland's number seven. So the Colts are on the outside looking in. If all five of those teams win, Indianapolis is out because of the tiebreakers and the situation. So my question to you is, when you look at all these five teams, Tennessee, Indy, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Miami, which team should be feeling the heat come Sunday? And which team you think will be not in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, well, like you said, the Steelers aren't planning on playing Roethlisberger. So, um, I mean, right off the bat, that's gonna that's gonna hurt the, the Colts, who are, who need one of these ten five teams to lose because the, the Steelers play the Browns. Um, and then you look at the Bills. I mean, really, do the Bills value being the number two seed or locking in the number two seed? Compared to the number three seed over, like getting some, giving their player, their key player, some rest. Um, because either way, it doesn't matter. In this year, um, the only team that gets a bye week is the number one seed. So either way, they're playing next in the in the wild card round. So I mean, really, does it make that big a difference to them? Whether they, they're the number two or number three seed. Um, they might be better off just resting all their key starters and handing Dolphins a victory. Um, and if that happens, now all of a sudden you're looking at the Browns probably winning, the, the Dolphins getting handed, handed a victory, and then the Ravens play the Bengals, which should be an easy victory for the Ravens. So all of a sudden the Colts, no matter what they do, they're out. So um, unfortunately the Colts, I think they're going to end up at 11-5 and five and still not even in one of the top seven teams in the conference. Do you know, you know that in the history of the NFL, the 101-year history of the NFL, there are two teams that have, have finished 11-5 and five and have missed the postseason. Do you know those two teams? Um, one you should know, but one you may not. One. Go ahead. And, um, I said the Eagles are one. Nope. No. No. Am I missing something? What am I missing? I'll I'll, I'll I'll tell you. You don't have to. You don't have to explain. Remember Brady and that perfect season. Remember when he got hurt. Oh yeah! Right! Right! In yeah. two thousand eight, that team went eleven and five and missed the playoffs. That team with Matt Castle went eleven and five and missed the playoffs. There was another team that did that as well. But you gotta go back to back in the day. You gotta go back towards the the nineteen eighties. In nineteen eighty five, the Denver Broncos also went eleven and five and did not get in. And back then there was only ten teams that made the playoffs. So they missed out in the top ten in a very tough AFC. And think about this. Thank God we have a seven seed because how good is how great has the AFC been at the top? I mean, eight teams won ten games this year. That's remarkable in this league in one conference, and 
And if it wasn't for this, two teams would have missed it. Now, one's sadly is going to miss it. And, and unfortunately, like I said, Indianapolis, you know, that's a, that loss to, to the Steelers was very costly. That, that might have been a very costly situation because, really, they have to hope that Tennessee will, beat, will lose to Houston. But Houston has struggled here recently, and I just don't see Tennessee winning, losing that game. To me, Miami would be the, the critical game because will will Buffalo play hard or will they just let let things go? Because still, they have to fight with Pittsburgh, and and like I said, even the Pittsburgh Cleveland game is is questionable because you know Mason Rudolph is playing in that game, and yeah, he's not obviously the quarterback. Roethlisberger is not even close, not even by far. But still. You know, Cleveland, they have to come out and, and play well, you know, because they did not play well against a New York Jets team. <laughs> so, yeah. so like I said, it, I, I, I said to myself, I think Miami's the team that needs to be the most worried because they don't know what they're going to get. They have to go to Buffalo, which means it's they have to win in Buffalo, and that might not be unless, unless uh, Sean McDermott pulls Josh Allen and, and the rest of that offense. I don't know, or even at defense, I don't know if, if Miami's going to have a chance up there. You know, I think they'll play well enough, but also when it comes to the Dolphins, I'm a little concerned because against your Raiders that once again completed the epic choke job part two, thanks to John Gruden, Mr. Mister Great Coach, greatest coach ever, they had to uh, start, but then... In a game that they couldn't, they almost should have, really, they should have lost that game to the Raiders. They moved in and put uh, Fitzmagic in, and he helped win the game. Now, I've been saying all week, if you're Miami, you know, you have a whole career ahead with Tua. Tua's your guy. But if you're going to win in the postseason, I would be more comfortable having Fitzpatrick in there. Because, at least with Fitzpatrick, the offense is much more tougher to deal with. Than with Tua, Tua is they're way too conservative with Tua, and you know that. You watch a couple of these Dolphins games. Tua, they're very conservative with him. You know he doesn't do much, and that's not going to work in the postseason. He's going to have to make some plays. They're going to have to take the chains off of him. To me, I would just start Ryan Fitzpatrick for the for this postseason as a thank you. He gets his opportunity to play in his first and only postseason, and then moving forward, starting next year, it's to his team, and you don't have to worry about that. Do you agree? Yeah, well, he um, was the guy that I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't sold on him in the draft. Even if he was healthy, I was telling you, I wasn't real sold on him as a quarterback in the NFL, and he hasn't shown me anything yet. Um, Fitzpatrick. Look, you're not winning the Super Bowl with him, but if you get to the playoffs, he gives you the best chance of winning. So, you know, I would, I if that were me, I'd go with him. But maybe they want to just see what they got out of Tua. But you know, like I said, man, I haven't been sold on him from the beginning. So, like I said, that's something Miami's. You know, that's going to be a potential. You know. You know, pretty much a consequence if they don't make the playoffs. It could come down to that because we'll see what happens. But really, if you're any of these teams, it's sleepless nights on Saturday night because if we make one false move, we're out. We're out. We're out. So I mean, it's it's going to be interesting on Sunday in the AFC how that how that 
who 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 ends up on the losing end on that. Obviously, we'll, we'll preview those games, and it's going to be very interesting how we preview them because we're probably going to disagree here. So, like I said, I mean, just looking at everything else, we all know. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about the NFC East. Well, we don't have to tell you about the NFC East. You already know the scenarios. Washington beats Eagles. They're in. Dallas and Cal and, and the Giants have to play early. And whoever wins that game has to wait all day to see what happens in that Sunday night game. It's even it's pretty sad that we, we get the Sunday night game. It makes no sense in a terrible division. You know, there's better games to choose from. So, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. It's ridiculous. I mean, if the Eagles won, that would be much more intriguing because it would be a straight-up division battle between those two teams. But it's not. And they still give us a Sunday night matchup. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. I, I don't want to wait until Sunday night to watch it. I'm watching that garbage. I'm, I mean, I'll watch it in, in the case that if the Cowboys win, I, I have an intriguement to hope that they don't make it in and the Eagles will do the right thing. But like I said, I, I don't know. We, 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 we've, we've had enough talking about it. So, like I said, while we give you all the playoff scenarios and everything else... Also, this weekend or this Friday, New Year's Day, we've done we've done, we've done this show now three years, and now it's our third time doing this. The college football playoffs, and it should be very interesting. All these four teams deserve to be in in some way, and we'll see what happens how it goes. But we'll preview these games here right now. So the first game is the Rose Bowl that won't be a traditional Rose Bowl because it won't be played in Pasadena like it's been forever. This game will be now played at Jerry World. And the two teams that obviously will go in here, your precious Notre Dame fighting Irish, who are who are in the playoff for the second time in the last three years, they play the team that's been obviously the dominant the one of the dominant trio of this of this college football playoff era, Alabama, the Crimson Tide, in a big matchup. Obviously, Brian Kelly has done an exceptional job with with them with with the Fine Iris and puts them in the national championship spotlight again. But do they have any chance in hell against Nick Saban and Alabama, who has not only unbeaten? But has, with the exception of the SEC championship, has averaged a 22-point beatdown by every other opponent this year. So, go ahead with this matchup. Let's see how you take it. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll do this, and now I still got to give you my Eagles cap rundown to how they can get back out of cap hell. But um, yeah, for this game, look, man. The other week, we, we previewed the Notre Dame-Clemson game for the ACC, ACC championship, and uh, I, think I told you then Notre Dame was going to lose that game. They had nothing to play for. Um, they were making the playoffs regardless. So um, it was Clemson had everything to play for because a loss that game would have knocked them out. But now Notre Dame's got something to play for, man. It's the playoffs, and... I'm looking at Notre Dame, man. Um, you know, they, they've built up an offense here where they got a dominant offensive line and a, a big-time running game. 
and they control the line of scrimmage. And um, and um, if and if they can do that against Alabama and keep that Alabama offense off the field, they got a chance. You know, Ian Book's a guy that he's not the greatest quarterback in college football. Everybody knows that. But when he's on his game, he's he's good. And if that offensive line is doing its job, and if they're running the ball, and Ian Book is playing at a high level, they can take down Alabama, man. Um, they just got to keep that offense off the field. Obviously, Bama has a lot of talent on that offense. They can put up a ton of points. But uh, I think uh, I think Notre Dame's offense is going to win that line of scrimmage. They're gonna they're they're gonna control that clock, and and they're gonna end up getting the victory here. So, you know, I'm going Notre Dame. There's no way I'm picking against them in the playoffs right now. That's my that's my team. So, ND with the victory. Final score, thirty to twenty-seven. <laughs> This is kind of like a faith pick for you, man. <laughs> like I said, I know that you know you're you're happy for Notre Dame, and this is a really good team, and they are a really good team, and maybe they deserve to be here. But Alabama is the absolute worst p- team to play. I mean, if you watch Alabama this year, they have absolutely destroyed ev- almost every opponent they've been in, with the exception of Florida. Now, Florida, obviously. To me, played them very tough in the SEC title game. But it's a different kind of situation. I think Alabama took them a little bit lightly. They're not going to take Notre Dame lightly. And like I said, Brian Kelly versus Nick Saban. You're telling me he's going to outcoach Nick Saban? Uh, I, I don't know. To me, this is the, this is the national championship. So... A shot at the national championship on the line. You play when you play against when you play against um, when you play against Alabama. You better bring it, and I think Notre Dame will bring it for like twenty minutes. Like I said, I think they can control the line of scrimmage. I think that that old line can do that. But Mac Jones is an, is a Heisman contender for for a reason, and Ian Book is not. And I think that with what they have, even though their wide receivers aren't as great as they've been, I just think come third quarter, that's where this game is going to be taken to another level. And unfortunately, you're going to realize that you're, that Notre Dame is just not on the same level as Alabama, as many teams are not. So unfortunately, you know, this game will be close for a little bit. I'll give you that. But Alabama's just too much. They're going to be too much. And and at, by the fourth quarter, you'll you'll realize that it is what it is. So Alabama's going to win, and the final score, fifty-two to twenty-four. <laughs> Hate to do this to you, man. Well, we'll see, man. We'll see. I think you're wrong. All right. Well, th- this matchup will be a little different here coming up the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Obviously, these two teams met. I get, they meet once again. It is what it is. You see these two teams again meet all the time. Clemson and Ohio State. Obviously, Clemson once again having another solid year with Trevor Lawrence, who could be the Heisman Trophy favorite. But obviously, going NFL bound, 
hopefully he's not he's not going to take this game lightly and you know making this hopefully not his last game but we'll see but obviously they play in Ohio State and I'm and Ohio State this is probably you know a a a, a trend to see what's going to happen with this team in the future with with uh Ryan Day cuz I don't like I don't if you're an Ohio State fan I don't like the future I'll tell you about it a little more out out there but Big matchup here with two teams that needed to make the playoffs. One that got in thanks to Notre Dame, and one that, if Northwestern beat them, wouldn't have gotten in. So, and Northwestern did play Ohio State real tough. So, go ahead with this matchup. Yeah, man, well, this this is actually the number one pick in the draft, Trevor Lawrence, going up against potentially the number two pick in the draft, uh, Justin Fields. Um but the fact of the matter is Ohio State has no business being in the playoffs. Some of the haters, of the Notre Dame haters, might try to tell you that Notre Dame shouldn't be in. The Notre Dame beat some good teams. They beat Clemson. They beat UNC, who's ranked. They played a 10-game schedule plus the, um, um, plus the ACC championship. Or AC, yeah, ACC championship. And they went 10-1. and one. They don't, Their only loss was to Clemson. Um, Ohio State played a, a garbage schedule. They played joke teams. They played like a half a season. Um, they have no business being in the playoffs. And it, it's going to show this week. Um, Clemson's going to crush them. You know, that, that's just how, it, that's just how it's going to be. So Clemson wins this one easy. I'm going to put it at uh, 41-23. Like I said... I do kind of agree with you about Ohio State. They got real lucky with 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 the situation, like I said. But the Big Ten wasn't very good this year. You look at Penn State; they lost five straight as a starting as a ranked team in the top ten, and they lost five straight to start the season. Michigan wasn't hot. Michigan State was rebuilding. Really, they had no competition until they played Northwestern, and Northwestern gave them a hell of a fight. They actually controlled most of that game in the Big Ten title game in Indianapolis a few weeks back. They're very lucky that they won that game. And this is where I'm a little concerned if you're if you're Ohio State moving forward. Ryan Day has kissed the ass that, that uh, has kissed the feet that uh, Urban Meyer has fed him. He's has had a lot of success with Urban Meyer's recruits. Justin Fields is an Urban Meyer recruit. And most of that team, about half of that team, is still recruited by Urban Meyer. Unfortunately, once he becomes the guy that recruits the players, guess what? You guys show if you're a real good coach and you can actually control the Big Ten like you have. Because I feel like Urban Meyer, this is like Andy Reid to Dougie P. There's a complete drop-off in as far as talent evaluating and situation. And unfortunately, I think Ryan Day is going to get exposed very, very soon, especially in 2021. And probably in this game. Because Clemson, to me, there's not many, like I said, Clemson and Alabama are the two best teams in the country. You, As much as you want to disagree with that with how great Notre Dame is, Clemson is on the same page as, as Alabama. They've been over the last four or five years. And obviously, Ohio State will, will have very little... They they're they're just they're just not good defensively. They're not as good as defensively. I mean, offensively they can do some things, but 
even they're a little off the, offensively, but defensively they're completely not as good as they were the last last year, the last few years. So I agree with you. Clemson's going to win pretty big, and the final score forty to twenty one. <laughs> All right, let's see how much time we have left. All right, you have. You have about three or four minutes to look at the Eagles. Go ahead with the salary cap. All right, I'm going to go through a real as quick as I can. Um, so the Eagles currently are at $22 million under the cap in 2020 this season. They can roll that over to next year. Um, next year, they're projected to be about $65 million over the cap approximately. So um, that $22 million brings them down to $43 million over the cap, right? Mm-hmm. Now you look at the quick cuts, Marquise Goodwin, who is never going to play it down for the Eagles, he's, he saves $4 million in cap space. Alshon Jeffrey saves 8 Deshaun saves 5 um, You look at the other guys, Malik Jackson is a guy that a lot of people are projecting to get cut. Some people think so anyway because his cap hit, his cap hit, he's on the books for $13 million. But his cap hits $12 million, so he really only saves about a million dollars in cap space. I think he's um, more likely to renegotiate his contract and drop his, his, uh, drop his um, salary down by about $5 million, $5, $6 million next year, um, and stay on the team. And then you look at potential trades. Um, you're looking at Bathurst, who's going to be gone. The Eagles will trade him. And I think they can get, like, a high third, maybe second-round pick even for them. Um, and, you know, the way the trades work, they, they, don't, they, they don't count the same as cutting a player. You know, the, it, it's, I don't have a lot of time to explain it. So um, cutting Ertz would save $4.5 million. Trading him, I'm just projecting. This is, these are numbers based off um, overthecap.com. Trading him, I'm just projecting it as closer to $6 million trading him would save. Um, one guy who I've been saying all year I think they need to trade is Fletcher Cox. Like I said, it's time to go for a youth movement, man. Um, it's time to get rid of the old guys, and they can get a high pick for Cox. I think uh, a team like the Bills, who are picking late first round and are in, in desperate need of a, a, a interior pass rusher, I think they'd give up that first-round pick for Fletcher Cox. And uh, cutting Cox, um, it would it would result in a big cap hit of twenty one million dollars, which they would end up saving three million dollars on the cap. So I'm I'm just sort of projecting trading him at tw- at approximately ten to twelve million dollars of cap space saving if they were to trade him as opposed to cut him. Um, and then the the big one is Carson Wentz. Um, we've heard the we we know the numbers. We've heard all the rumors. Um, the fact of the matter is this, man. You trade Wentz now, it's like ripping the Band-Aid off. You take the cap hit. Trading him would still save a, just under a million dollars in cap space. Um, but the fact of the matter is, just like with Cox, um, you look forward to 2020, Fletcher Cox, if you traded him and just ripped that Band-Aid off now, his $24 million cap hit would be off the books in 2022. Um, for Wentz, he's, he's projecting for 22 to have a 30 million, $31 million cap hit. That, that money would all be completely off the books, okay? Um, so the fact of the matter is if, the, if you make those moves 
which really, you look at those six players that we would be cutting and or trading, um, the only guy that's even given them any value whatsoever is Fletcher Cox this year. You know, Wentz, is, Wentz and Ertz have been worthless, and all three of those receivers are completely worthless for the last two years or more. Um, you know, they, they're not losing anything. And there's that, that basically... Um, that plus the $22 million that they're, they're uh, moving over from this year to next year, that saves them $64 million under the cap. So at that point, they're $1 million over the cap. Um, there's a couple other guys they could cut, guys like Jannard Avery, who would save a million. Arcega Whiteside would save a million. So there's some guys here and there they can cut that would save a million each. And um, they read the read – they, uh, they restructure a few deals. They can easily get about twenty-five to thirty million under the cap in twenty twenty-one. And then the the exciting thing after that, obviously, with those three trades with Cox, Ertz, and Wentz, you know they're picking up a lot of draft picks in those trades. So um, you know, not only are they getting way under the cap, but they're also uh, getting an infusion of youth on this team. And then you look at 2022 with all those moves they made, all the all the salary cap that they've cleared up, as it stands with all these players on the team in 2022, they're projected to be about 50 million under the cap. I, I don't think it's going to be that high. I'm 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 putting I'm going to put it down more like 40 million under the cap in 22. But then with all those moves that they've made, um, getting rid of Ertz, Wentz, Cox, Goodwin, Jeffrey. Um, that saves them $62 million in cap space in 2022. So basically they're over a hundred million dollars in cap space in 2022 um, with all those moves they've made. And then there's other guys that they could get rid of too that would save even more cap space after that. But uh, basically you're looking at a team, they make those, those six moves, five of which are guys that are completely worthless this year. Um, and one of which is a guy. Okay, maybe maybe he, he's he's been good. He's been pretty good, not great anymore. He's on the downside of his career in Fletcher Cox. But if you can get a high draft pick for him, I mean, I, I would take that in a second. And because let's be honest, this team's not going to be competing for Super Bowl next year. So, you know, the fact of the matter is that the, the numbers look bad, but with the right moves, they can get under the cap. And they can set themselves. They, they can get not only get under the cap. They can infuse this team with youth, and they can they can uh, set themselves up for 2022 uh, with the flush with cap space, with young talent, and potentially ready to make a move. Because it, it almost reminds me of 2016 when at, when they fired Chip Kelly, and uh, they were in really bad shape. You know, um, they, they took 2016 to rebuild that team. They brought in some under-the-radar free agents, which is what they would have space to do this offseason. And um, and then 2017 is when they went for it. So um, there is that possibility, man. It, it might just be like a one-year step back for them. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll see if we'll have more of this discussion next week. And obviously... You'll have we'll have more into what's going on. So, like I said, thanks for that analysis, and hopefully, y'all enjoyed this. And like I said, we'll talk on on Sunday. Last preview of the regular season: who's going to the playoffs, who won't, our predictions, 
And, like I said, the look back after that. So, have a good night, folks, and enjoy the college football playoffs and the games this weekend.